So today's daf is Lamitet. We are beginning with Bezrat Hashem, the new uh, parak of Taraf Bekalpi, which is going to continue with the uh, description of the Seder Ha'avodav Yom Kippurim. Taraf Bekalpi, the Kohen Gadol is, uh, is is approaching now the um, the uh, selection. He's approaching the two goats, so he has to decide, or he doesn't decide, but it it, oh, it you know it's going to be determined which one of the two goats. Uh, is going to be uh, you know Lashem, and which one's going to be Lazazel? So the way that it's done is by a, by a lottery, which is the Torah says that it has to be uh, Goralot. We saw before it has to be based upon a lottery, meaning that he's going to pick out of this box uh, two pieces. It was originally wood, later it was made into gold, but it picks out uh, two items that have on it Lashem and Lazazel, and whichever one is to the right. In other words, if Lashem comes to the right, then the goat to his right will be Lashem. If Lashem comes to the left, then the goat to the left will be Lashem. So Tarab Bekalpi, now according to Rashi, that just means he grabbed them quickly out of the box. He doesn't, he, he doesn't take it to mean that he did anything with the box. Other Mephoshim say that no, it means he shook the box first. In other words, to mix them up a little bit so that it would be more random uh, before he selected the one that he was going to take out. But uh, the, the way that Rashi has it sounds like he just grabbed it out quickly. Pitom, he says, you know, b'chatifai, he grabs it quickly. He t- pulls out the two uh, lottery, the two pieces. So one is written Lashem, one is written Lazazel Hasagan, like we saw yesterday, that the assistant Kohen Gadol is to the right, even though he's really behind him, but he's, he's angled to the right. And, and the head of the Betav, the head of the family that would be officiating that week would be to his left. Im shel shem ala bimino. So if, the, uh, if the, the, the one that said Lashem came up in his right hand, so obviously in other words he puts his two hands in and he pulls them out. So if the one that's in the right hand happens to be Lashem, so hasagan omerlo ishi kohen gadol then the assistant kohen gadol who was to his right would say, my master, Kohen Gadol, lift up your right hand. If it came up in his left hand, so then, then the, uh, the, Rosh, the head of the, the uh, Kohanic family of the day would say to him, my master, Kohen Gadol, lift your left hand. Um, so the, uh, uh, you know, in other words, because that was the one that had the name of Hashem on it. Then he would place each one of these uh, goralot on the respective seirim. He would place it on the goat who would actually rest on them. And he would say, say, this is for Hashem chatat. I mean, the one on the, on, on the right or on the left, whichever one was for, uh, was the one that had the name Hashem on it, would uh, be, this is for Hashem. Rabbi Shmuel Omer, he didn't have to say the word chatat. It's obvious that it's for, that, that it's a chatat. He would just say, this is for Hashem. As we know from the Seder Avodah that we read in the Musaf of Yom Kippur, everybody, he would actually use the name of Hashem, he would pronounce the name of Hashem, the Yud Kei Vav Kei, in the, uh, you know, in the correct way. So everybody would then hear the name of Hashem when he designated this Chatat, and everybody would fall on the ground and say, Baruch Hashem Kivot, as we learned, uh, you know, as we are all familiar with from the, uh, the Avodah of Musaf of Yom Kippur. But anyway, this, pro- this is a step in the process of designating the, uh, the goats. So there's two parts. There's one where he pulls out the Goralot. Um, I'm not sure what the best English translation of Goralot is, but it means like the things that you use for the lottery. I don't know, what do you even call that? But um, the two things that he pulls out, the lots, I guess is the right word, right? The lots that he pulls, right? So, um, yeah, so he, uh, yeah, because I guess it's also, he peel poor hua Goral lefnei haman, so it says Goral lefnei haman, it's called lots, right? So I guess it means lot. So, uh, I'm no, so I guess that would be the term. So he pulls, so the lots that he pulls with his hands, and he, places, he has to first pull them out and then place them on the respective 
uh, goats. Now, so why does he have to, now according to Rashi, that means grab so quickly without hesitating. According to others, it means why does he have to shake it before he grabs it? So that he won't direct his hand and pick something, you know, intentionally. Now, the thing is that really he would prefer, it was considered a positive siman for the name of Hashem to come up in the right hand because that's the hand of strength, right? We know that a Kohen that's a lefty, is actually uh, is actually pasul. So there's some people that make political interpretation of that, you know, but it's, uh, that's not what it means. It's saying, it, but it, 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 he has. To, so he's definitely a righty. So the idea is that if it comes up in his right hand, that's a sign of strength. It's a positive siman, and so he might want to like feel around to see if he could tell which one is the shell, the one that says Hashem. So he could say, "Oh, look, it came in my right hand," but it won't be genuine. It won't be a genuine lottery. So therefore, he has to do it quickly, or he has to shake it around so he won't do that. The box was actually made of wood that he pulled the lots out of. It was not sacred. It wasn't a holy vessel. It only fit two hands. In other words, there wasn't much space in there. It was just enough space to stick his two hands in and grab them out. We understand why it didn't fit more than his two hands, so that he couldn't really like move them around and make it look like it was a random lottery and that he and, and pick the one with the name of Hashem on his right hand on purpose. That we understand. But why did they have to use an, a non-sacred vessel? Why don't they just consecrate the vessel? We don't make um, sacred vessels out of wood because wood is a now considered a very honorable kind of a substance, kind of a material, not a noble material, it's too mundane, so they didn't make holy vessels out of that, and that's why they didn't consecrate the box. Of course, that begs the question, right, because okay, so then why don't you just make a silver one? Why don't you make a golden one? The answer is that the Torah is very, uh, is concerned with the financial, uh, with the budget, Right, so the Torah says, "Look, look. The the, the point is, don't buy, don't make something gold that doesn't have to be gold. Don't make something silver that doesn't have to be silver. Since there's no requirement of being gold and silver or silver, therefore budgetary concerns dictate that we might as well use what. Very interesting that after all of the gold and all of the yeah, everything gold and everything so expensive and everything that they made gold handles and gold this, they were worried about the budget for the one box that was going to be made of gold. Very interesting. Or you know, uh, Helenia Malka makes a golden tablet that has the words of the Sota the Sota ritual written." But 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 a box of gold for the coin? Don't not that's too expensive, right? So it, so you know that's the point is that it wasn't necessary and it wasn't and, and unlike let's say a do- donation from Helenia Malka that was her choice to make it or Munbaz Melech decided for, you know his own choice to to put gold on the handles of the vessels. The Torah didn't require that, so the communal fund would never kick that in. Here it's coming from the communal fund, and since it's coming from the communal fund, we, it teaches you a lesson, actually, that we're careful about the budget because we're dealing with the money of the community. We're not dealing with an individual who wants to make a donation. It's dealing with the money of the community. If you can, if you can af- buy something made of wood instead of gold, then it serves the same function, and there's no requirement of gold to buy wood. That's what you see. So, matnitin de la kiaitana. Our Mishnah differs with the following Tana. The Tanya. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Mishum Rabbi Eliezer Asagan. Rabbi Yehuda said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, who was an assistant Kohen, the Kohen Gadol. I'm sorry. No, I read the wrong way. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Mishum Rabbi Eliezer, because that wouldn't even be possible, because Rabbi Yehuda lived too late. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Mishum Rabbi Eliezer. Right? Period. He said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, Hasagan the Kohen Gadol, Machnisin Yadan Bekalpi. That the that the Kohen Gadol and the Sagan would both put their hands into the box. 
In other words, according to our reading, the Kohen Gadol puts his two hands in. One is going to be the right hand, one of the left hand, and the Shel Hashem is going to be in one of the hands, and the one of Azazel is going to be in the other hand, and he hopes that, it, that, that the one of Hashem goes in his right hand. But according to this writer that Rabbi Yehuda is saying, and Rabbi Eliezer, the Sagan and the Kohen Gadol both put their hands in so they can both be right hands. Right? So both of them are right hands. So no matter what, it comes up in somebody's right hand. Okay, so im biminoshal kohen gadol ole. So if it comes up in the right hand of the kohen gadol, so then what will happen? Asagan omelo ishi kohen gadol like beyeminecha. Then he'll say, "My master, the kohen gadol, lift your right hand." In other words, I didn't get it; you got it. Dim biminoshal sagan ole. And if it comes up in the right hand of the assistant kohen, so then rosh bet avo melo le kohen gadol dabir milcha. Then the the rosh uh, bet av, meaning the assistant kohen gadol himself, won't say anything because he, you know, he ends up besting the kohen gadol, so to speak, because he ends up with the one that says Hashem, and that was considered the greater honor. So he ended up with the, that says, with the one that says Hashem. He doesn't say, "Oh, look, I've got the one of Hashem," and the kohen gadol doesn't defer to him and say, "Oh, you got the one of Hashem. Lift your hand." He wouldn't do that because it wouldn't be kavod, I guess, to the kohen gadol. Instead, the next person in line, which is the Rosh Bet Av, the head of the, fam- the Kohanic family of the day, who was also accompanying the Kohen Gadol, would say to the Kohen Gadol, say your words. In other words, declare that this one is, the, uh, is going to be the, um, the one that's Lashem. So it, according to this version, there are two people sticking their hands into the box. The Kohen Gadol sticks his right hand and the assistant Kohen Gadol sticks his right hand in also. Each, and one each of them... Pull, pulls one. Each pulls one, and one of them will get Lashem. And obviously, if the Kohen Gadol does, he'll be very happy. And if he doesn't, maybe he'll be a little discouraged. But either way, it'll come up in the right hand, is the point, um, of somebody. Why doesn't the assistant Kohen Gadol just say, Hey, look, look what I got. I got the one of Hashem. You know, what, what, why does he wait for the, uh, for the other person to say, The answer is that the Kohen Gadol might feel a little bit, like, discouraged because he wasn't lucky enough, fortunate enough, to pull the Shem Hashem, and that was considered a much greater honor, so he feels like, you know, he ended up pulling the Lazazel one. He feels, you know, what does that mean for me? You know, it's a, it, it doesn't reflect well on me, even though it doesn't really mean anything, but, you know, he'll, he'll feel discouraged. So it says, it doesn't say it actually means anything. It's just saying that he, uh, he'll feel discouraged. Right? What's the Machlok? The, the machloket between the two versions is that our version of our Mishnah assumes that it's better for the Kohen Gadol to do it, re- even though he uses his left hand for one and his right hand for one. And sometimes the, even the, the one Lashem is going to come up in his left hand. According to the according to Rabbi Yudan, the name of Rabbi Eliezer, it's better that it be done with the right hand, even if one of the right hands is not the right hand of the Kohen Gadol. Okay? So that way you have two people sticking their hands in. Oman, hai tana de paligale de Who is the tana that disagrees with Rabbi and says the Kohen Gadol should put both hands in? Rabbi Chanirab Sagana Kohanimu. That's Rabbi Chanirab Sagana Kohanimu, who's very famous, um, who was actually the assistant Kohen Gadol in the Beit HaMikdash, in the Bait Sheni. And we learned about him. There's a long discussion of his words in Masachet Psachim, very famous section there that we learned about. Tedanya. Rabbi Chanirab Sagana Kohanim, Omer. Right. Because he said, what's the only reason why the assistant Kohen Gadol escorts the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur? Only because if the Kohen Gadol becomes Pasul for some reason, the assistant can take over for him. Okay, but that means that he doesn't do anything else. In other words, he doesn't serve any other function according to Rabbi Chanina Sagana Konim. And he was the Sagana Konim. 
right? He himself was the Sagana Kohanim, and he didn't, he's telling you the only reason why I walked around with the Kohen Gadol was in case I needed, he needed a backup. But I didn't stick my hand into the box. That wasn't part of my job. That was the Kohen Gadol did that. Right? Tanukhavanan, the rabbi said, Arba'im Shana, Shimon HaTzadik. Shimon HaTzadik was a very famous Kohen Gadol who served for 40 years and was, uh, has the um, legendary meeting with Alexander the Great. Very famous uh, story. Right? Shimon HaTzadik, during all of those years, the Goral for Hashem, the lot that said Lashem, always came up in his right hand. In the future, after the passing of Shimon HaTzadik, the point is that the, the, the level, he was, he was a person, he was a rare Kohen Gadol in the Bayi Cheni, times that was really a great, he was called Shimon HaTzadik for a reason. He was a very holy person, very great person. And there are many stories about his piety and his high standards and how, what, what a holy person he was. So therefore, during his time, the uh, Lashem always came up in the right hand. After that, it would sometimes be right, sometimes be left. In other words, it became random again. And it used to be that they would have the red string that was hanging on the, uh, on the, uh, at the Bet HaMikdash to show the people that after the Seir Azazel went over the cliff that their sins were forgiven, it would turn white, right? They would put the red string, it would turn white. But after that, it didn't always uh, turn white anymore, right? So the, because um, they would take the, uh, they would put the red string on the head of the, uh, on the horns of the Seir uh, HaMishtaleach and uh, and the other half they would keep, and that half it would uh, it would be a uh, it w- if it didn't turn white, then it would be discouraging to the people. So during the times of Shimon Atzadik, it would turn white. Right after that, uh, it didn't turn white anymore all the time. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, and uh, always the 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 light of the menorah, even after all the other nerot were uh, extinguished, would still be lit in the morning. And according to some, you see, according to the Rambam, it's easier because according to the Rambam, they actually relit the menorah in the morning. So it didn't have to be lit all the way till the following day. But according to, uh, according to the other, uh, other Rishonim, that they only lit the menorah in the afternoon, that means that it was actually lit all the way till the following afternoon, each day 24 hours all the way. So that, uh, he said, that it, was, it was lit all the way till the next day so that they could light from that. There was sometimes that it was lit, sometimes that it wasn't after the times of Shimon HaTzadik. And always the fire was very strong on the, uh, on the Mizbeach outside. And they never had to add any wood to the pyre of the, uh, of the outer altar. But they only had to put those two big extra logs that they would put on top of the, uh, on the Mizbeach as the mitzvah. But really, they didn't need to add any, any wood because it was always burning. And in the future, after the death of Shimon HaTzadik, sometimes the fire would be strong, sometimes it wouldn't be strong. And... Um, and they and it wouldn't be you know the the kohanim would sometimes have to bring wood all all day long to supplement and to keep the fire uh, to keep the fire strong. So uh, so that shows us that uh, well, it actually goes on. Venishtalcha bracha baomer and the the omer in other words the grain that was harvested for the omer would have a lot of bracha meaning it would be very robust. and also the wheat for the shteyalechem of shavuot ubelechem apanim and also the um, and also the, uh, uh, the 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 bread of the the, the the weekly Shabbat bread of the lechem apanim meaning it would have brachan it that when you would eat it it would be like very nutritious and filling you know it was uh, it was really good. So that when the Kohanim would eat it, they'd be very full. 
Okay, meaning v'chol kohen shemegia kazait that any kohen that would receive a kazait yesh uchlo v'sava yesh uchlo motir. Some people would be satisfied just from the kazait. Some people would be satisfied with less than kazait. They would leave over from the kazait that they got because it was so filling. It was so uh, rich. The the the, the great. Okay. But after that, there was a curse placed on the Omer and the Ishtayalechem and the Lechem Apanim, all of these breads that when the Kohenim would eat it, and the, the, the Kohen would receive, uh, uh, you know, less. So it says um, he would get less than a kazait because it wasn't satisfying and people didn't uh, didn't vie for it. That's what Rashi seems to say. It says right. So since he saw since they saw that it wasn't satisfying, people would not take that much. Um, those who were modest, meaning those who were the humble people, would not would, would not take. And those who were the gluttons would take advantage and they would eat, eat a lot of it. So the point was that it did that in the early days. I think that also might say something about Shimon Tzadik setting the tone for certain like character of the Kohanim. That you know during the times of Shimon Tzadik, the people were not pigs. You know they would take one kazait and would be satisfied with that. That also might just speak to not just the physical quality of the grain, but also the attitude of the Kohanim and their their view of it. That, you know, during the time of Shimon Tzadik, they would eat a kazait and some people say that's more than enough. I don't even need it. And later on, they would take a little bit and they would, and the people who were, the, the, the great people would take a little bit and say, well, you know, and leave it. And the people who were the, uh, the people who were the gluttons would just, you know, would, would feast on it. There was somebody who would take his portion and the portion of his friend. In other words, he would always take more. Um, the, uh, uh, he, he, they, he would take more. He would take his own and the portion of his friend. Ben Chamtzan. They would call him not, not the son of oxygen. They, they would call him the son of like a robber. Chamtzan is, you know, like uh, they're going to show from the Psukim that that means that uh, somebody who's, who was who like a robber who takes from others. In other words, they, were, they, they, they didn't have the same kind of character as they had in the... Uh, you know, in the times of Shimon HaTzadik. Um, that Kamtan is different. Kamtan is cheap. That's where the kuf. Yeah. So now, Kamtan uh, is saying robbery. Adyomoto, they called him out the rest of his life. Amar Maikra. What is the pasuk to support? Because it says, Eloi paletenim yad rasham mikaf me'avel ve'chometz. Hashem save me from the one who is a chometz. A chometz is, me'avel is somebody who is unethical and a chometz is somebody who robs. Rav Amar me'acha, lindu ha'tev di'yushu mishpa'at, ishru chamot. That's from the chazon Yishayahu in the beginning of the book of Yishayahu that we read uh, before uh, Tisha Be'av. So ishru chamot, ve'al ta'ashru chometz. Meaning, you should write, you should correct, the, 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 you should uh, support the person who is robbed but you should not be supporting the person who is the chometz, the person who is uh, the person who is uh, the robber. In other words, saying ishru chametz, they're saying you should. The per- they're, they're interpreting it as the one who is on the on you know who is the uh, uh, the victim of the robbery. Strengthen the person who's the victory of the robbery. Don't strengthen the robber. So chometz means a robber. Okay. The point is that the character of the kohanim, in addition to the. Uh, in addition to the uh, lowering of the quality of the food, the, the character of the Kohanim really declined after the death of Shimon HaTzadik. And there are many other stories like that. So the year that Shimon HaTzadik was going to die, he said to the people, he told them, I'm going to die this year. 
How do you know you're going to die this year? Amalem, he said, Whenever I would go into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, because remember, he was a Kohen Gadol. So he said, I would always see this old man wearing white, and wrapped in white. He went in with me, and he came out with me. This year I went in, and the man in there was wearing uh, black, and he was wrapped in black. He went in with me, but he didn't come out with me, meaning uh, you're, that he's like the Grim Reaper, basically, you know? But, you know, he's, he's telling him that's it. After the, um, after the holiday, meaning he didn't die right after Yom Kippur, but after Sukkot, he was sick for seven days and he died. After the death of Shimon HaTzadik, the Kohanim no longer would say Birkat uh, Kohanim using the name, Hashem, the name of Hashem anymore, meaning they, they used to, when they did Birkat Kohanim, say the name, actual pronounce the Yud Kevavke name in the Bet HaMikdash, also when they did the Birkat Kohanim. They stopped doing that after the time of Shimon HaTzadik. The Rabbi said, 40 years prior to the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. Now, that, this is not during the time of Shimon HaTzadik, and it was much later. It no longer came up in the right hand. And, and, and the red string never went white anymore. In other words, after the time of Shimon HaTzadik, it still sometimes did. But after the t- after 40 years before the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, we're t- talking about the year 30. And obviously, Shimon HaTzadik lived long before that. So we're talking about, you know, much later, the last 40 years of the, uh, that the Beit HaMikdash was standing. So everything went the opposite of the good. It wasn't just sometimes one way, sometimes the other way. It was thoroughly bad. The Lashem always came up in the left hand. And the red string never became white. And, and, and that's why they actually said that they started putting the red string inside instead of outside so people wouldn't see it because they would be so discouraged by this. I don't think I mentioned that here, but I remember that. Where, that uh, they used to have it outside the Hechal. Everyone could see. That everyone would see this red string that it went white and people would see that we're forgiven. But then when it no longer happened, people would say, oh, what are we, you know, we're not getting forgiven. It would be bad. And it never happened that the candle would be lit all day till the next day in the, the menorah anymore. And the doors of the Echal kept opening by themselves instead of waiting for the Kohanim to open them in the morning. Until Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai yelled at the doors. He said, Why are you scared? yourself by opening the doors because opening the doors is like saying the enemy's going to come in like you're invited in to, to destroy the Beit HaMikdash it looks like you know it looks like that so he said I know that you're going to be destroyed because we know that the Navi Zechariah already told us that the second Beit HaMikdash is going to be destroyed um, so that's not a surprise but why do this why have the doors open and be so ominous like that um, and the as the Pasuk says Petach uh, Levanon Lebanon, open your doors. It's not talking about the country of Lebanon, but it's a re- reference to the Beit Hamikdash. It's called Lebanon. and the fire is going to consume your cedars. They're interpreting that as a reference to the Beit Hamikdash. I'm going to be Yitzchak Ben Why was the Beit Hamikdash called Lebanon? That's why it says Haharatov When Moshe Rabbeinu wants to see the the land, it says you're going to see Haharatov the good mountain and the Lebanon. It doesn't mean he wants to see Lebanon. Nobody would want to see that. Right, he wants to see the the Bet Hamikdash, which is called Lebanon, on the mountain. He's not talking about right. That's that's how the rabbis interpret it. He didn't want to see the Hezbollah flag flying on over Lebanon. That would he wouldn't want to see. Amar Rabbi Zutra, Amar Rabbi Zutra, Bar Tovia. 
Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped it. Why, why is it called Levanon? Shemalbin Avonot Enshel Israel. It's called Levanon from the word Lavan because it whitens the sins of Israel. Why is it also called Yara Levanon? It's called Beit Yara Levanon. They interpret that the house of the uh, of the forest of Lebanon. Uh, Shlomo is referring actually to the Beit Hamikdash, even though in the Pshat it just sounds like it's a summer house that he that he built. But uh, they interpret it. No, it's also the Beit Hamikdash. Also, a reference to the Beit Hamikdash. Why is it called the forest of Lebanon? The Beit Hamikdash. Uh, just like a forest blossoms. The Beit Hamikdash also blossoms. What do you mean it blossoms? Because when Shlomo built the Beit Hamikdash, he put in like plants of gold, okay? And they would actually grow golden fruit. And when the wind would come, then the, um, then the fruits would fall to the ground. Uh, it's like the opposite of Willy Wonka, where everything was actually food. Here, everything was actually gold. You know, it's like, uh, as it says, and this pasuk is from Teilim, uh, it, it says the... Uh, 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 so, meaning that the uh, like the Lebanon is the the fruits, meaning the fruits of the uh, uh, of this these golden trees. Okay, would and the Kohanim would take this golden fruit and they would sell it, and from that they would make a lot of money. You've seen, you know, they have things like golden uh, grapes, golden apple, you know, as decorative, you know, people buy these decorative things. That's what they had. Once the Ovdei Kochavim, the idolaters, entered the Beit HaMikdash, these plants dried up. They no longer provided this fruit anymore um, because it says, It became like... uh, Lost, it became um, desolate. The uh, the the flowers of the Lebanon. So it's saying it no longer provided this miraculous fruit. But in the future, it's going to come back. Because it says it's going to uh, blossom again. Right. It says that the honor of the Lebanon is going to come back to it, and everyone is going to rejoice and. Uh, and uh, because it's going to be blossoming golden fruits once again. So uh, back to the Willy Wonka reference of the golden eggs of, uh, you know, the goose bling. Oh, I mean, I guess that's a that's a fairy tale that goes even before that, right? The goose that laid the golden eggs. But uh, the, here you have the here you have the uh, golden fruits. Nitandan al So he placed the lots on the two goats. Uh, there are ten times that the Kohen Gadol mentions the name of Hashem, meaning the Yud Kevavke explicitly on that day. Shalosh uh, Bavidui, three uh, were when he does the confessions, right? Bavidui Rishon, Ushlosha Bavidui Sheni. So three times with the first Vidui, three times the second Vidui. Vishalosha Bisira Mishtaleach, Vechad Begoralot. So there are, because the Kohen Gadol mentions the name, we, we know that he says, Ana Hashem, right? Uh, he says in, when, he, when he first does the confession over his bull, right? Right. Right. Kapernazer. And, uh, and then he says, Lifnei Hashem Titaru. So he says three times the name of Hashem there, right? One is, uh, one is the confession, and the Kaperna also says Hashem. And then he says, Lifnei Hashem Titaru, the first time. The second time he goes back to the bull and he, and he confesses not only his own sins, but also of the Kohanim. So and he does the same thing he says three times. Then when they, the Seir HaMishtaleach, when he confesses the sins of the Jewish people, he again says, Anna Hashem and Kaper Hashem. 
right? Ana Bashem, Kaper, right, etc. And then, but it doesn't, he didn't actually say Bashem, he said Ba, Hashem's name. And then at the end, the Fnei Hashem Titaru, so he said it three times there. And he also said, when he designated the Sa'ir, he said, Lashem Chatat. And when he said Lashem Chatat, he didn't say Lashem, he actually said the Yurkei Vavke name. So that comes out to ten times that he mentioned. So you see this number ten actually figures again in, the, uh, in Yom Kippur. We had the ten washings of the hands and feet. We have the ten mentions of Hashem's name. And it's on the tenth of Tishrei. There's a lot of the number ten in Yom Kippur. A lot of them, Farshim, talk about that and the significance of that. In any case, and as he sang the name of Hashem, his, his voice was all, heard all the way in Jericho, all the way in Yericho. From Jerusalem to, to Yericho are ten parsaot, and, uh, and, and you could hear, in other words, you could hear the name of Hashem being said on Yom Kippur all the way from there. And the, the opening of the doors of the Echal could be heard. It's not talking necessarily about Yom Kippur, it's saying on any day, that the doors of the Echal being opened or closed, I guess, could be heard from eight Tchumei Shabbat away. Okay, so eight Tchumei Shabbat, if he's talking about the rabbinic Tchum Shabbat of 2,000 Amot, so that's 16,000 uh, amot away, and you could hear it. And uh, and the goats in Jericho in Yericho, they would sneeze from the smell of the ketorot. The women in Yericho, they didn't have to buy perfume. The perfume business would not be very successful in there because because it smelled so good from the ketorot. They didn't need that. A bride in Jerusalem, she also didn't have to. A bride in Jerusalem would not have to get any uh, perfume because of the smell of the ketorot that made her smell good. And what should it say here according to the Hagot on the bottom? She said, Rabbi Eliezer ben Daglai. And again, we look at what it says about it. Machvar, be'are machvar, it should say. Okay. This was a place that was outside of Jerusalem, and they would sneeze from the smell of the ketorot. He said that an elder told him, Rabbi Chia Baravin said that Rabbi Yosho ben Kocha said that an elder told them, I once went to Shiloh. From between the walls of Shiloh, I could smell the ketoret from the times, Rashi says, of the time that the Mishkan was in Shiloh, which was, you know, way before, thousands of years before. He said, I could smell from the time, from that, because Shiloh was destroyed right after the times of, uh, uh, of Shmuel. It was destroyed in times of Eli. So we're talking about going all the way back. I could still smell the ketoret. It was so powerful. Even from that time, me ben kotlea from between the walls of the uh, from between the walls of the uh, of Shiloh. In fact, they, I I remember reading that they they identified location of uh, Mishkan Shiloh. They think they know exactly where it was. I mean, not walls. I don't think. I don't think they excavated any structure, but they found this the place that they believe is the location where the Mishkan Shiloh would have been based upon the layout of the. Uh, of the ground, but uh, so he, he went there and he smelled the uh, smelled the ketorah from it. it I, as I had mentioned before, we talked, we saw this idea um, in a previous gemara about the kohen's voice being heard from uh, hundreds of miles away. It doesn't necessarily mean in a literal sense. I think we can understand this it, that there's a there's a metaphoric sense. It's like when we talk about oh, the shot that began the began the war was a shot heard around the world. You know, like meaning that the 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 impact was felt. It was so powerful that it was as if 
the sound was heard throughout Eretz Yisrael and there was no limit to the sound, not because physically the ear could catch it, but because it means the impact was so great or the impact of the Ketoret as a source of Kapar for the Jewish people was so significant that it's like it filled the, uh, it filled the, the, uh, uh, the country. And the idea is that, you know, even the past, even past Ketoret, even, even, you know, the Avodah Hashem of the past continues to have an impact on today. The idea could definitely be understood in a metaphoric way is talking about the lasting influence of the Avodat Hashem, even of previous generations, many generations ago, that it continues to, you know, to be felt. So I, I, I would take all these Agadot in that way, and that's, we had thought, seen it before, and it seemed to fit pretty well also with that, because they're clearly exaggerating in terms of the distance in order to make that point. And I think we use that metaphor even today, when we'll say, oh, this was a, this was a shot heard around the world. This was something felt, you know, felt uh, across the globe. It doesn't mean actually they felt it. It means that it had an impact that was, you know, that was felt across the globe. So Bezat Hashem will continue from here tomorrow. I think it's a new sugiyazum.